grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is this uh, rather unusual parable, you might say, of the dishonest manager from Luke chapter 16. And, and we're going to be walking through it, so if you do have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Luke 16 and, and follow along. But I'm going to start by jumping all the way to verse 13 first. Because there we find what Jesus is going to be getting at by telling this parable. And Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So we see right away that Jesus is going to be talking about our relationship with both God and money. Now, money is a remarkably powerful thing in our world, and many people put their faith in it. They turn money into a false god. Money calls many shots in our culture and in our world, and if we're not careful and discerning, it can begin to call the shots in our lives, too. The problem is money is indeed a false god. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't love you. And it will leave you one day. It cannot follow you or help you at the end of your life. Now, what we find is in Jesus' parable is someone who learns this lesson the hard way. A manager who was an employee of a rich man. And this rich man was likely a landowner, a large landowner with, with many debtors. These debtors would probably have been sharecroppers. People who had rented his property and agreed to pay back the master X amount of their crops when it was harvest time. So the manager then, the steward, he was responsible to the master for keeping his books and collecting those payments from the debtors. But what we find is that this manager, he has been wasting his master's possessions. He has not been managing in a way that was pleasing to his master. And the word wasteful there used to describe the manager is the same word that's used in the parable that comes right before this with the parable of the prodigal son who wasted his father's possessions until they were gone. Here, too, the, the manager, <clears throat> he relied on money, but then he also wasted it. And inevitably, the time caught up with him that money failed him. His misplaced trust in unrighteous wealth finally caught up with him. So word gets back to the master. The master calls him in and says, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Now, we should already pay careful attention to the master and his actions, because so often, the master in Jesus' parable represents God. And so that makes sense. It makes sense that the master demands accountability from the manager. But we've also already witnessed something quite extraordinary about the master, that the master had already extended mercy. You see, the master would have been well within his rights to immediately and publicly punish this manager as soon as he finds out what he had been doing in order to protect his own rights at his own interest. He could have thrown this manager in jail and demanded that he stay in there until he pays off the debt. But you see, the master doesn't do that. Apparently, he's not acting like we would think he should act because he already desires to show mercy 
toward the manager. And it's important to note that the manager's sins have not yet been made public, and the master has now given him inexplicably more time, time to go get his books and bring them back. And this is an important detail in the parable. And because the master has not yet made this issue public, nobody knows that the manager has been fired. And so that allows the manager now time to come up with a plan. He knows he's not able to make an honest living for himself by digging, and he's not going to beg. But since he still has access to those books, well, he comes up with a plan. He decides he's going to make some friends for himself since he still has access to his master's money. So that even after all is said and done, he will still be welcomed into those people's homes. And so that's what he does. Before anyone is the wiser, the manager goes to all these sharecroppers, and one by one he reduces all of their debts, and he reduces the debts by a significant amount. If you take what they were measuring, it could be as much as one or two years' worth of payments. The sharecroppers don't know that the manager has been fired, so they assume that this is a perfectly valid transaction. What's even more interesting, and maybe even a little shocking, is that they don't seem all that surprised by this reduction. They don't blink an eye when their bills are instantly reduced. And if we were to speculate why they weren't surprised, it seems like all of this is well within the well-known nature of the master. That they weren't suspicious that their debts were lowered because they probably thought, well, of course, this sounds like the master that I know. He is an extravagantly generous master. But notice what the manager did. This is another little detail that's key. What he did as he lowered the debts, he had the sharecroppers write it in their own handwriting. And this is important because when the, the manager then takes the books back to the master and, and set it on his desk, the master would have realized two things right away. First, that the debts had obviously been lowered. But second, that the debtors already knew about it because it was in their handwriting. So likely the whole city now is aware of what's been going on. The whole city would have been abuzz with the news, people talking about just how generous this master is and how we also like his manager. Now, a normal landlord could have, of course, put an end to all of this immediately. He could go straight away to the sharecroppers, explain that the manager had been fired, that he didn't have the authority to change anyone's debts, and oh, by the way, everyone's payment is going to be due the normal time come harvest time. And furthermore, you might expect to see the hammer come down even harder on this already dishonest and disgraced manager. But that's precisely the opposite of what we see happen. Instead, what we see is the master who didn't authorize the debt reduction, he commends the manager for his shrewdness. This is the guy who was just robbed, but the master turns to the thief and instead of demanding justice from him says, well done. You knew me and my generosity. You knew that I would let this stand. You're a crook but you're quite a clever crook. 
In fact, we don't actually ever hear that the manager ends up getting fired in the end. This master, this God figure, showed everyone mercy and generosity. He showed it towards the debtors. He showed it towards the manager, everyone involved. So what do we make of this unusual parable? Well, there are two things that I'd like us to hear today. The first is a very practical matter that is very important for all of us and our stewardship. The matter of money and wealth and our possessions. Jesus concludes this parable by saying, for the sons of this world, that would be all the people who choose to serve false gods instead of the true God, gods such as money in their lifetime, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus is saying those who choose money or material things as their God Though they are false gods and will eventually leave them and fail them, they at least have one thing going for them. They know how to make the most of it. They know how to leverage their resources. Their only goal is worldly pleasure, and that's not right, but they know what to do in order to achieve that goal. The sons of this world know how to use wealth and possessions just like the dishonest manager did. And it might sound kind of shocking to hear Jesus talk like this, to say that the sons of light, that's us, Christians, might even have a thing or two to learn from the sons of this world. Not to turn money and wealth and material things into our God, obviously, but to learn how to use those things for our goal. So the next question is, well, what's our goal? Well, Jesus tells us. He goes on to say, I tell you, make friends for yourself, for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, when it fails, they may receive you in the eternal dwellings. You know, we've been given a lot by God, the creator and master of all things. All of us have been blessed by God with wealth, whether it's a little or a lot. All of us have been blessed with physical resources and material things. All of us have been blessed with time each and every day. We have been blessed with talents or special abilities, with our ability to to listen to others or to communicate with them or to pray for others or to reason with them or to offer our leadership in certain areas, to dedicate our efforts and our possessions and our abilities no matter how much or how little we have been given. So the question isn't, have I been given wealth by God? No, all of us have been blessed by a generous God. The question rather is, how am I going to use that which I've already been given? And Jesus is saying, don't put your trust in those things as if they're your God or to use them to only satisfy yourself, there will come a time when these things will leave you. Instead, in the time that you've been given, use your wealth, whatever that is, time, talent, resources, use them as a means, as a tool for the sake of God's kingdom. Make an eternal impact with them. Be generous because you know you've already been shown the master's extravagant generosity. 
Be generous in your support of God's mission. Be generous towards his people and his church. And even be generous in leveraging your earthly resources to win favor with those who aren't yet in God's kingdom, so that on that day when you are received into heaven, you will be able to see as many people possible there to greet you. Jesus isn't saying that you can buy spots in heaven with wealth or effort or generosity. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that you can and should use wealth here on earth in God-pleasing ways to be good managers, good stewards of all that he has entrusted to you so that you might have a chance to impact another's life, to be winsome on behalf of God's kingdom. And Jesus is telling you to be shrewd like the manager for the sake of others. Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters, for either either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The manager had been serving the wrong master for a long time. He had spent his whole career chasing after wealth and treating money like it was a god, but it did fail him. And so he had nowhere else to turn except to throw himself at the mercy of the true master. And when he did, he found out an astonishing truth. The truth that his master cared much more about being merciful and generous than he did about getting every cent that was rightfully owed to him. And that's why the manager is commended in the end. Because for the longest time, all the manager cared about was himself. But the moment the manager began to leverage his master's resources for the good of others, even if not with honest intentions, well, that is still when the manager found out just how extravagantly generous the master was willing to be. And this then is the second thing that I'd like you to hear today, which is how generous God is willing to be with you as well. As we read scripture, we see all over that that God does not work in ways that we would expect him to work. When God has every right to demand justice from us, justice from people who are constantly putting their trust in anything but him, uh, people who abuse his gifts and treat him with contempt, people who fall short time and time again, God, we find, is continually merciful and generous with us. He wants to forgive. He wants to write off our debts. He wants to give away his wealth to us. After all, he chose to give us the most valuable wealth of all, the most valuable gift, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, for our sake and the sake of the whole world. The manager, he found himself in a dire situation. And on our own, so do we. We know that we are sinful by nature. We know there will come a time for accounting, when we will be judged, the day when all will be held accountable for everything we've done and everything we've failed to do. But like the manager, we have also been given time. We have been given this lifetime, however long or short it may be, to recognize our sin, 
to repent and to come to the same realization that the manager did, that we are in need of mercy, that we are in need of a savior. The manager, he chose to throw himself upon the master's generosity. In fact, he banked his whole plan and his entire existence on the fact that the master would be extravagantly generous. If the master wasn't generous, then his whole plan would fall apart. But amazingly, his faith was not misplaced. You and I are in the same spot. Your life, your entire existence, when you are called to account on that day, well, it depends completely on the mercy and generosity of God. The one shot you have to avoid the eternal punishment that all of us are owed. It is based on the nature and character of your master. The character of God. Will he demand from you justice? Or will he show you mercy and generosity? What we find, of course, according to Jesus himself, is mercy and generosity. We find a God who chose to spare no expense, who held nothing back, who gave you his only son, Jesus Christ. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Jesus didn't just write off half of your debt, like we saw with the manager. Jesus wrote off the whole thing, every debt we owed because of our sin. It was paid for by the blood that was shed for us on the cross. And when Jesus cried out, it is finished, it was. Your debt was erased. It was paid in full. And you have now been given the true riches, the gift of faith and eternal salvation. You know without a doubt that your place in God's eternal kingdom is safe and secure. And knowing your merciful and generous God, it can't help but transform the way you live. Let me ask you this. How do you think the manager went on to live after this encounter with the generous master? I don't think you would ever be able to look at earthly wealth the same way again. Well, we too know that our earthly wealth, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's our health or energy or ability to do things, all of these things can, we, we can turn into false gods if we put our trust in them instead of God. We do not need to cling to them. We do not need to chase after them because we already have everything we need in Jesus. Instead, we can begin to leverage our earthly wealth In other ways, we are free to do so. We are free to steward them wisely, as Jesus suggests. We can steward them shrewdly for the benefit of others and for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We can use what we have been given generously because we have a God who has been eternally and extravagantly generous to us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.